0: Again, such a great joy to welcome you all here today. And one more time, I just want to thank you so much for coming. I am so glad that you have made it here. We're going to look at two passages of Scripture just before I uh, take you there. I want to tell you that we're going to look into the book of Hosea. And um, it's going to take a few, uh, a few moments to set the table here. But uh, the book of Hosea is a wonderful picture of the heart of God. And we're going to look at that passage in a moment. We'll we'll talk about it in just a couple of seconds. But this Sunday is about something in our Holy Week experience. This Sunday is the day that we remember the, uh, the time when Jesus entered into Jerusalem. And I know sometimes it's hard for us to get our minds on some of these things before we we are reading them. But I want you to just imagine what it must have been like for Jesus on that day as he is approaching Jerusalem and he has a large crowd of people with him. There's a, there's a contingent of people coming towards Jerusalem and they're excited and they are shouting out at the top of their lungs the word Hosanna. And this word Hosanna means um, um, praise. It, it, it's a word of praise. It, it, it is a word of, of, of acclamation to the Lord and it means saves. And they were they were shouting this because they believed that they had with them a king who was about to deliver these people. These people were subjugated by a nation. They were slaves to another nation and they believed that finally the Roman government was about to be broken by this king. And they were excited as they were coming in towards Jerusalem. They believed that Jesus was going to overthrow the government for them. And he was going to rule over Israel. And Israel would become the greatest country in the world again. So they were fired up. They were fired up based on scriptures that they, had, uh, they thought they understood. Prophecies they believed were coming true. Right in front of their faces. So when I say to you that they were shouting the word Hosanna. It wouldn't be like a bunch of us white people. Oh hey hallelujah. You know how we are. You know us white folks. No, there would have been a a huge... There had been a great outblast of emotion and excitement because finally their slavery was going to come to an end. Finally, they were going to enjoy this exciting time when Jesus reigned. They didn't have to pay taxes to Rome or anything anymore. That's what they envisioned in their minds. As they're approaching Jerusalem, there are people laying down palm branches and laying their cloaks on the road. That was a sign of respect and revering the one who was riding on the donkey or the coal of a, I mean a, a colt of a donkey riding into Jerusalem. So this crowd is making commotion as they're approaching Jerusalem, so much so that a large crowd gathered in the city and started to come out and meet this crowd. They join in. They're bringing their cloaks. They're bringing palm branches. They're laying them down, and they're screaming out at the top of their lungs now, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is an excited bunch. And and I want you to understand that that's the setting that we're looking at today. But I want to go first to a Hosea. And I would like for you to look at this passage of scripture, because what we are looking at today is the love of the lamb, the love of the lamb of God. And I want to go to Hosea first, and I'll hopefully be able to make a tie-in here where this all makes sense in just a few moments. And I'd like you to just look at this. This is God himself speaking to his people. He asks this question in Hosea chapter 11, verse 8, beginning with verse 8. How can I give you up, Ephraim? Another word for Israel. How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Seboiim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I turn to devastate Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the holy one among you. I will not come in wrath. Now I'd like to shift that gear just for a second and again now go to Luke chapter 19 and beginning in verse 41. This is part of the story that I was talking to you about. Jesus is approaching Jerusalem. He is on uh, uh, the colt of a donkey and he is approaching the gates. And here it is. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. And they will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. And they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Two very contrasting sounding passages of Scripture, but two wonderful reflections of the love of the Lamb. First, let's go to this Hosea passage for just a few moments and think about this. And I will come to this. I just I I want us to to see both of these passages and we'll think about this in a moment. Here's here's what I ask you to think about all of your life. I am sure if you've come to churches like this, you have been told all of your life. God loves you. People like me stand up and sometimes a great passion looks at you and says, man, God loves you. Sometimes I spit on people. I don't mean to, but I get passionate about this. And and you come to church and you see guys and gals preaching this and they they preach. Preachers are big on this. You almost never can come to a church service without hearing this. You'll, You'll hear it in Sunday school. You hear it from Christians all the time. We say it all the time. And by the way, I want you to know, I believe with all of my heart, I'm going to tell you again, God really loves you. God loves you and you hear it spoken about and and it's it's something that sometimes we can get a little saturated with and but but it is especially this time of year it is something we think about and something we preachers tell you about you're told that the one who created everything not only knows who you are not only knows your name but he loves you and he loves you in a way that nobody else can love you and we've been saying that to you in spite of what he knows about you all of your private thoughts how many hairs are on your head he intimately knows you yet he loves you and you're also told repeatedly this time of year especially you've been told that God loves the whole world John 3 16, one of the verses that most people can quote God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to whoever believes in him and not perish but have everlasting life you've heard that Jesus died for you He died on a cross and for everyone because of his love. So can we take a little bit of time this morning to ask ourselves, does that ring true to you today that you are loved by God? For the sake of this sermon, I'm requesting you to go with that assumption that God truly loves you, that it is absolutely true, that what this guy is standing up here telling you, what this book says to you is true, that God loves you. Place everything we are about to look at together on that foundation, God loves me, and understand again that I personally am convinced that he does. We're about to shift gears big time, okay? And it's going to feel like I'm jumping around for a couple of moments. But if you'll bear with me, I'll bring it all together, I think. I want to make a suggestion to you. God loves in a way that people don't, okay? God's love isn't much like people. Here is a kind of example of how people love. Watch this. I love marriage. Marriage is
1: awesome. It's so beneficial. So many benefits for a guy when you get married, ha-ha. <laughs> like when you get married, you're a guy, you get a little helper in the car, ha-ha.
0: <laughs>
1: I love my little helper in the car. She knows everything about driving. It's very convenient for me, ha-ha. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes I get confused. See, I don't know how I get anywhere without my helper in the car. I'd probably be bouncing off trees and buildings and stuff, but she's there to help. Like she tells me when the light changes colors and everything, it's very convenient and helpful. (laughs) Like it's green! Thank you, Elmer, Cause I was confused. I didn't know. Thanks, Captain Prism. She's very helpful in the car for me. I always know how fast I'm going with my help. She lets me know. You know how fast you're going? Yeah, I got a speedometer right here, but thanks for the backup. That thing ever snaps in half, I got you to back me up. When you see old guys driving 35 on the freeway, it's not because they want to. They've been trained to, for crying out loud. Their foot has been governed by a woman. You ever see like, oh I wanna go faster, I just don't think I should. I just feel like something horrible's gonna happen if I go any lower. Gonna get an ice pick in my ear hole, or something bad's gonna happen, Roy. She's very helpful in the car. That's right. She gives me statistics when we're in a car. That's right. You know that men have the most accidents. Gee, I wonder why that is. <laughs> hmm. Let me ponder that for a nanosecond. Bing! It's because the woman in the passenger side, because you always react to every little thing. And that's okay. Just don't do the noise. Oh, <coughs> that? That was the garage door opening, sweetheart. <laughs> we haven't left yet. Can you give me a change of pants before we go? I'm please not gonna work for the gala. I'm sorry, it was silver. It was moving. I thought it was a Volvo. I'm sorry. We're driving one night. <laughs> We're driving one night. It's like two o'clock in the morning, and it's just I'm just so tired. I'm just hallucinating. My wife's just sacked out. She got that eyelid. <laughs> 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 and we hit a bump 2 o'clock in the morning she goes are you okay <laughs> then she says this you want me to drive <laughs> oh what would Jesus do <laughs> I don't
0: <know. laughs> oh. All right. Right. It's a silly way of going about it. But I, I wanted to illustrate that the way people love each other and the way God loves is very, very different. You see, God's love is nothing like people's love, which wanes, it comes, it goes. It's, it, it's We love each other more some days than others, if we're really honest. At least that's how we feel. There are days when you are so happy to be married to your spouse. And there are other days you look at them and just wonder, what in the world have I done with my life? You know, those are, there are days when things... Things like that happen with human beings. That's how our hearts work and we struggle. But God's love is not like our love. And uh, Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 3 really substantiates what I'm talking about. When the Lord told his people, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And from all that I have studied over the years of knowing the Lord and and, in being in ministry, I have to tell you, I have to stand here and tell you, I believe those words are absolutely true. God loves us with an everlasting love. It doesn't get weak. It doesn't wear out. It's everlasting. And here's what I like about God. It isn't his love is not like ours. Everlasting love doesn't get high sometimes and low others. It doesn't do that in my mind everlasting love can only come from an everlasting God. And I love that his love is consistent. That is just something that we can know. That's one distinction between the way that God loves and we love his love is consistent. And I love that. Another thing to know about God's love is when God loves, he loves wide open 100% of the time. That's why I love telling people that when you Enter into a personal relationship with the Lord. That moment that you do it, 100% of God comes into that relationship. And there's never a moment when he doesn't love you uh, without all that he is all the time. 100% of him, 100% of the time. That's how God loves. And he will love you like that throughout eternity. He will love people throughout eternity with 100% of all he is. And I love that about God. As mighty as he was when he created the heavens and the earth, that much mightiness loves me. As loving as he was when he sent Jesus into the world, that much love is still right there for you and me. That's God, and that's his way of loving. We're talking today about the love of the Lamb. He wants our love for him to be something like that. He wants our love to be as much for him as we... We can possibly make it because he loves us so much. A few moments ago, we read from Hosea chapter 11, verses 8 and 9. And for me, again, the book of Hosea gives us a picture, a look into the the heart, the very heart of the Lord Almighty and his love for uh, for people, particularly the Israelites. You see, although the Israelites had turned away from their God to worship false idols and false gods, something, by the way, that the Lord equates in the Holy Scriptures as with the act of adultery. That's how much betrayal he feels when we worship another God or we worship an idol. And although they had been repeatedly warned by the Lord God that they were drifting away from him and he wooed them, they chose at some point to ignore his voice and they kept pursuing a destructive path of their own. And at some point, the Israelites arrived to a condition in the book of Hosea where their hearts were no longer there was zero connection with them and God. Not because God's love went away, not because God loved them less, but because they didn't love God. They just died. They fell in love with other things and other other pursuits. And finally, they reached a condition where God in Hosea chapter one, I think, verse nine, had to declare this about his people, his own people. He said, this is what he named them: These are not my people. He didn't do it because he was divorcing them. He didn't say that because he no longer wanted them. He said that because he recognized that their hearts were totally gone. They were gone. You know, I've seen and and it breaks my heart every time I've seen this. I've seen marriages where the marriage is over, even though they're still together in the same home. But their, their hearts have departed and and his heart isn't hers and her heart isn't his. And there's no interest there. There's just a coexistence. It's a terrible way to exist as a married couple. Would you agree? It doesn't happen overnight. And it didn't happen overnight with the Israelites. And it didn't happen without God lovingly saying, you're drifting away from me. And I want you back. And it's a powerful scene when we, when we read this to where God finally had to let them know, here's what you have become. You are not my people anymore. And when he said that, he helped them understand you are on a self-destructive path and you are headed yourself on your own to absolute destruction because you no longer have my protection because you won't have it because you no longer have me here because you won't have it. Bad things are about to happen to you and you'll be destroyed. And again, that wasn't the heart of God. God loved them. He still had 100% love for them, but they didn't love him. And they had departed from him. And it's an amazing thing, this sentiment that, that, that happens. We read it in Hosea 11, where then he relents. And he speaks of coming back to them and loving them again. And I just love what he says. How can I let you go? How can I let you um, hand you over? How can I do that? I love you. And instead of punishing you, instead of pouring out anger on you, I'm going to come back to you and love you again. And to illustrate it, the book of Hosea also is about a person, a prophet by the name of Hosea, whom God had instructed, I want you to marry this woman who happened to be a prostitute and an adulteress. And he had his prophet marry this woman to illustrate to the people, this is what you are to me. This is how you are treating me. And sure enough, Gomer went away. The man's wife, Hosea's wife, went away. And she began to commit adultery and to began to be a prostitute again until she somehow became the property, I guess, of a pimp. And God said, I want you to represent my heart for my people. And Hosea, I know it hurt you that your wife went away, that she doesn't love you. I know this hurts, but I want you to go find Gomer. And I want you to get her back. And I want you to show your love to her again, because you are representing my heart right now. And so... Uh, Hosea goes out in obedience to the Lord. And when he finds his wife, she is property of somebody else. And he paid the price to buy her back. And he brought her back. And he says, listen, I'm going to love you like a husband loves his wife. You just can't go back out there and do this one more time. And God was saying through all of that how much he loved and loves the people that he ministered to. And so this beautiful passage comes, this passage to me that's so full of hope that gives us a glimpse into the heart of God. Fast forward now to the birth of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem. And this now is the fulfillment of God's promise when he said to the people of Israel, I'm, I'm coming to love on you. Now God is here. Jesus is present and he's been now he is with his his own people, the the Israelites and the people of the world, the divine son of God became a human being. And he showed his love, the heart of God, to them. He taught them, he ministered to them, he healed them. He showed, he revealed God's love through miracles and teaching and preaching, and he lived for them, modeled for them a life without sin, and he made it clear to any who encountered him that he is the Messiah, the only Son of God, and the only way a person can be made righteous would be through him. In our passage from Luke, let's go back to the scene that. That we see Jesus has been here for 33 years and he has been ministering to people. He's been loving them because he is God. And now he is on his way into Jerusalem and the people had the wrong idea, but captured a moment. This crowd is energized and they're fired up and they're screaming, Hosanna, the Lord saves. They're screaming, blessed is he. Who comes in the name of the Lord. They're laying down their palm branches of respect. And showing respect like a coronation. They're saying there's a king present here. And they are excited. They are loving on this man. As he rides in. And you would think at that moment. That if you were that person. You were Jesus, and you had ministered so hard and so long to have all these Israelites around you shouting, saying your name, and being excited. You would think Jesus would be doing a little bit of fist pumping, wouldn't you? That's right. I'm the king of kings. Yeah. You know, you that's if we were writing the script, let's be honest. How what would Jesus expression be? Wouldn't he be broadly smiling? Wouldn't he be thrilled? They're getting it. They see me. I'm their king. This is right. This is what's happening. But that's not what we read today, is it? What we see is the Lord Jesus Christ weeping, not just having tears track down his cheeks like tears of joy. No, he is weeping and he weeps. And the people don't even know what he is weeping about because they don't understand his heart. And as difficult as this passage is for us to read, I want to tell you it's still one of the most beautiful pictures in the scripture. Because again, here is the Lord showing his heart for his people. Why is he weeping? Because he knows what these people are about to do. He knows in less than a week. Some of the same ones screaming Hosanna and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord will be shouting for him to die. He knows they will be screaming, crucify him. He knows they will reject him. And again, he doesn't take that as a personal wound and says, you know, why don't they love me? It, It wasn't that it was tears because he knew the consequences that they would suffer because they reject the only son of God. Come back to full circle. And hear me say it again. Jesus loves you. God loves you. And we need to see the love of the Lord, the love of the Lamb, as we are looking at this scene. And there are some lessons that we can learn here from the weeping and from the moment. And as electrifying as it might have been. Had they received Jesus in the way that they needed to receive him. It was the opposite. And he's weeping. And we need to learn a few things. And here's one of the lessons I hope we learn from today. It is not enough that God loves you. Now that's hard to hear. but And, and you need to hear me say this again. He loves the world. But many people will not be in right standing with God when he judges us. And it isn't because he didn't love them enough. It's not enough that God loves you. Many people will be turned away from the gates of heaven. And every one of them will have been loved as much by the Lord as you are. And church, that ought to do something to us today. So I'm not wrong when I say it's not good enough or it's not enough when God just uh, that God loves you. Many Israelites, God's people will be turned away from heaven, not because God didn't love them enough, but because they didn't love God enough. They rejected him. And the thing is, God did more than enough to demonstrate his love for us. And he did more than enough to make it possible for us to belong to him. That's all he's wanted from you and me. That's what he did. That's why Jesus came. He made the way clear, but it's not enough. If we don't receive what he does for us, it's not enough that God loves you. You can walk out of here and know that you know that the God who created the heavens and the earth loves you with everything that God can love. But it's not enough if you don't turn. If you don't in turn love and acknowledge him, it won't be good enough for you. And it's one of the frightening things. Church, it's why I hammer on things like that candle that's lit over there. Listen. We're about trying to help people know Jesus Christ as, this, as, as a church. We I make no apology for trying to convince people to turn to Jesus. Why? Because I know something about why Jesus wept that day. He knew that many people as a result of their treatment of Jesus would go to hell when they died. I don't want that to happen. And I need you to understand something within a golf ball strike um, with a driver around us, are probably thousands of people who don't know Jesus' church. I don't know exactly the demographics here of late, the census of how big even just the town of Northampton is. But I will tell you in a 25 uh, minutes drive, there's over 100, probably over 200,000 people in our circle just 25 minutes away in a, in a car. And the majority of them Do not know Jesus. And here's the reality that Jesus wept about. They'll go to hell without him. And they may believe and they may know that God loves them. But if that's all they know, it's not good enough. Do you hear me? It's not good enough that God loves you. And I'm glad he does. But that in and of itself was not what happened. It it, it was not enough. And and as I say, God did everything to demonstrate his love. And people will rely on themselves or something else to prepare to meet God. But without Christ, the afterlife is horrible, which leads me to my second point. It's not enough to rely on anything or anyone but Jesus. It's not enough. Again, Jesus wept for the Israelites because he knew that as a nation, the people already had rejected him. He already knew. And he knows that he's the only way a person can be made righteous and accepted by Almighty God. There is no other way. There is no other person. It takes the divine Son of God to make us holy enough to be accepted by the Holy Creator. It takes his work. We studied that in Sunday school this morning. Rely on yourself and your own goodness, and it's not enough. Depend on the fact that you pray to him every day and you go to church and you donate money. And if that's all you do, it's not enough. Rely on any other God. It's not going to make it. There's only one rest on our own righteousness or the righteousness of another person. Even if you have a relative who is the most godly person on this planet. God has no grandchildren, only children. It's not enough. Religion Isn't going to get you there. Being religious isn't going to get you there. It is a relationship with the Lord of glory. The love of the lamb. It is about him. And anything less is not enough for you. We have to humble ourselves enough to allow the death of Christ on the cross to pay for our sins. We have to humble ourselves enough to admit that we're not good enough not strong enough, not holy enough to deal with our own sins. And we are guilty and we do need Jesus. And we have to trust him as the Messiah. We have to know that and we have to put our trust in him. And if he is the Messiah, people, he is God. And if he is God, we have to treat him like God. Not like a man, not the man upstairs, not your friend. Jesus is the son of God and he needs to be worshipped. He's divine. He is the holy God of heaven and earth. And that's, it's not good enough if we don't rely on him. Finally, let me say, it's not enough to just say that you believe. I have to tell you that for years and years, I had an uncle that I prayed for very fervently. I love this uncle. He was always very good to me. I I lifted him up in prayer. He was so generous. He was one of these guys that on the outside lived a very moral life as far as you could see, paid the taxes, you know, didn't break the law. You know, he was a a good guy. And he constantly said to me, um, because I would always talk to him and say, you know, Uncle Tom, you need to know the Lord. And he would he would say, listen, he says, here's what the Bible says. If I believe with my mind and my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, then I'm fine. The problem was he didn't live his life like he believed. He said he believed. But if you truly believe you follow Jesus, Do you hear me? It's not enough to just say his name and say that you believe in the Lord. This is a frightening reality, and this is part of why Jesus wept. I have to have say something that's not very easy for you to hear, but listen to me, please. There will be far more people in hell who believe that Jesus is the son of God than those who are really atheists. Uh, let me say that again. Hell will be populated by far with people who believe with all of their heart, that Jesus is the son of God. There will be atheists there, sadly. There will be people who said, I'll never believe in God. And that's a very sad tragedy. But most people in hell believe that Jesus is the son of God. Do You understand that most of the people who rejected Jesus in the nation of Israel believed in God. They were very religious. Do you understand that they believed the prophecy about the coming Messiah? Their problem was is that they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They rejected him. But worse than that is to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and yet not yield, yet not trust him, yet not believe. And church, we have our work cut out for us. If there are more than 200,000 people out there and. Let's best case scenario, according to census, let's assume that that 40 percent of them are born again. We'll do that. That leaves well over 100000 people without Jesus within a 25 minutes drive of our church. And they need the Lord. And the reality church for them is horrible if they don't find him. You see, it's not good enough to say you believe it's not good enough. It's it's what must happen is a personal relationship initiated by faith in Jesus Christ. That has to happen. If you and I are going to enter into heaven, that is how it happens. The reality is that many people who have believed will end up not being in heaven because they refuse to give control of their life over the Lord. And that's the issue with a lot of people. I don't want God Changing me. I don't want to leave things that I love. I like this. I enjoy this. I don't want to forsake this. I don't want to go away. And here's what happened to the Israelites, to the point where God had to say, "Not my people." It wasn't again because the Israelites, um, or because God didn't love them, or He gave up on them. God won't give up on you. Can you can you be thankful for that today? God's not done with you. You're still breathing. Our problem isn't God giving up on us. Our problem is us giving up on him. God's not done. But here's what happened to the people of Israel. They departed so far away and they were so in love with their other things that God wasn't part of their thinking. And wasn't their life. And so when that happens, they're left to their own devices and let's be honest here. If, if it's up to me to run my life, it's going to be a can of worms. Do you hear me? Because I'm going to get it wrong. I'm going to be selfish. I'm going to mess my life up. And it's going to look like a train wreck before very long if I'm in control. No, I need to yield to my creator. And Jesus Christ loves me. And he's not here to mess up my life and make my life miserable. The opposite is true. I promise you. He came to give me abundant life. So my question for you, knowing these things and knowing the reason that Jesus was weeping that day and knowing something about the love of the lamb. My question for you personally is, is this. Have you taken this step that is necessary to, to initiate a relationship with Jesus Christ? I want to tell you last night, somebody took that step in our church. Somebody came to the Lord and and we'll burn a candle next week for them. Uh, we'll celebrate that. But I'm asking you now. This is you. It's not, it's not enough that God loves you. And it's not enough to put your trust in anything or anyone but Christ. And it's not enough just to believe. Have you committed to the Lord? Have you trusted him to take away your sins?